Welcome to the podcast From Zambia to Ireland, 15 Years of Insights on HIV and AIDS, where Professor Father Michael Kelly, expert and scholar, shares his wisdom through a special collection of addresses delivered from 2006 to 2020 during the annual Irish Aid Professor Father Michael Kelly event. Father Michael was born in 1929 in Tullamore in Ireland, later becoming a Zambian citizen. He dedicated his life to advocating for an integrated and sustained approach to HIV and AIDS. He raised the importance of community, dignity, compassion and humanity, and he was a passionate advocate for education and for the rights of women. He died in 2021. My name is Nadine Ferris-France, Executive Director of the Irish Global Health Network and longtime friend of Father Michael. It is an honour and a privilege to ensure that Father Michael's wisdom and legacy is widely shared. More education, better education, more universal education, especially for girls, better education, especially for girls. If we can do that, we're responding to the human rights of all of our children. Episode 9, Education Responding to HIV and AIDS. In this episode, the 2012 address, Father Michael discussed education as a social vaccine against HIV and AIDS. He stressed the importance of having a wider focus on education to include addressing illiteracy, poverty, women's empowerment and discrimination. Yeah, we heard them singing, we ain't falling down. I think that was it. And we've got love to support us where we go. And that's just what is needed with this whole AIDS epidemic and the fight against it. Not to give in and to support the people who are infected or affected and in doing so to try and reduce the size and the proportion and the dimensions of this epidemic. I want to thank the Minister very sincerely for his presence with us this evening, for the encouragement that that gives us in this struggle here in the southwest part of Ireland, but also to the what it means worldwide, because today or this week is a very special one. This is the week of uh, World AIDS Day, and it is a time when we are beginning to think about this disease a bit more. One of the difficulties, the problems, is that we make become complacent. We've had very considerable scientific success during the past decade. We have not had anything like the same success in the social sphere that Dr. Mocha was talking about, and I think we need that also. Several years ago, 30, 40 years ago maybe, Martin Luther King said, we begin to die the day we stop talking about things that are important. And this epidemic, because we have had a certain measure of success in dealing with it, people are, I'm afraid, beginning to stop talking about it. It's going off the radar screen of the world. And yet, it continues 
to be one of the most catastrophic global occurrences of our lifetime and possibly of the lifetime of those who will follow us. The minister gave some of the statistics and add into those statistics the number of families that are shattered when people are infected or when people die and the enormity of the epidemic becomes very, very apparent. Let me just tell you something about what it is like in Zambia, where I come from. We have approximately one million people living with HIV out of a population of less than 14 million. So you might say one in every 14. Two years ago, new infections were occurring at the rate of 250 every day. Not in a year, but every day out of 14 million people. Deaths were occurring at the rate of 135 a day. You can see from that a huge number of people dying every day needlessly from this disease and also because the number of new infections exceeds the number of people being infected, uh, the number of people dying, the total number of people living with the disease is increasing with us just as it is increasing worldwide, where the number of infections outstrips very significantly the number of people who leave the scene through sickness, through death, and leaving behind them families, leaving behind them loved ones, and very often leaving behind them orphans. Some years ago at a conference, something like this, but a, a larger hall and a larger audience, a child addressed the group. The child said she was about eight years old, said her name was Tsepo Sitale. And she said, in my language, the name Tsepo means hope. And we are turning to you, grown up people asking for hope. We're trying to reach you. We're trying to tell you something. We're trying to draw attention to how we feel. What will you do to help us to realize our dreams? We want you to bring us hope, hope for the little children of Africa, and not just of Africa, but of so many other parts of the world also. But as Professor Moore said, the epicenter is in Africa, and indeed in southern Africa. What hope can we bring? Well, we have the hope of the changes, the developments over the last decade. One of the greatest hopes, I think, was the vast global mobilization against this epidemic. Unprecedented in human history, the way the world came together and focused on this and said, we must do something about it. Concern, resources,
personnel, science, the whole United Nations apparatus, countries, every sector seemed to come together and say, what can we do to respond to this disease, to reduce its impact, and to head it off, and eventually to cure it? And I'd like to take the occasion here to say a sincere word of thanks to Irish aid and to the people of Ireland for their sustained and very generous commitment to dealing with this epidemic over the years. The effort from Ireland has been fantastic, and Ireland is one of the big contributors relative to its size to dealing with this epidemic worldwide, and it, we are extraordinarily grateful for it. Ireland has in Dublin what is called Open Heart House, and this little book, Stories from the Heart, came from Open Heart House about a year ago. Some of the people there who are HIV infected and what they said about themselves. There are about 20, 25 stories in this. I've read them all a couple of times. And what struck me was the hope that was in them, the confidence that this disease is now being tackled and can be overcome. One of the writers, a man called Charlie, said, I have so much to be thankful for. This, remember, is a man living with HIV. I have so much to be thankful for, and I look forward to a brighter future full of hope and happiness. And that is the way so many of the other stories are, and they are a wonderful tribute to those who are engaged in Open Heart House, James O'Connor and his team there, and to all who support them, and I think they deserve a round of applause. But long before the new medicines, medications were introduced and before they were distributed more and more widely amongst the people who were infected, long before even there was an open heart house, we did have something to work against this disease, and that something was education not just school education, as you've said, doctor, but education on all fronts, education in every aspect, community education, community involvement, but also, and very particularly, the education in schools. And 12 years ago, as long ago as that, at Dakar, at the World Education Forum, the then Director General of the United Nations Program Against AIDS said, education is perhaps the most powerful force of all in combating the spread of HIV and AIDS. My feeling is that that wasn't followed up. The words were said, people accepted them, and then they went back to square one to the status quo. But yet, he had said it, and it was true. 
probably the most powerful force of all in combating the spread of HIV and AIDS. And then even more recently, earlier this year, the current director of the UNAIDS program against HIV said ending AIDS is possible and education is key to the excess. We won't get anywhere unless we make good use of education. And we're not necessarily talking about education, about sex. We're not excluding that. We're not excluding talking, uh, teaching about the correct use of condoms. But there is something wider than the narrow focus just on some of these preventative measures. And there is something wider than the narrow focus on the medications. There is the illiteracy. There is the poverty. There is the subjugation of women. There's the, the discrimination. There are the male chauvinistic attitudes which are inbred in society. And it is these things that fuel the spread of this epidemic and education, more formal education, if you will, school education, literacy, learning the mechanics of reading and writing and in, in numeracy also, building up these things within our young people is now bringing a transformation. I want to be very honest with you and tell you that up to about 15 years ago, we couldn't have said that. Because up to about 15 years ago, the better educated people were the ones who had more HIV. The last survey that was done with us in Zambia was in 2007, so it's five years back. They'll be doing another one now. Uh, well, they're doing it next year, six years later. But in that survey, we found what is found in so many other countries, more HIV amongst the wealthy upper classes than amongst the poorer lower classes. And the wealthy upper classes are the ones who have received more education. But now better investigations are going into the matter. They're investigating what is it with the people up to the age of 23 or 24? And what is it with the people from 30 to 40? And what is it with the people above 40? And there, they're finding a very radical change. With the younger people, the ones who have more recently passed through the schools and had their education, there is considerably less HIV infection than amongst the older ones. Education was not a vaccine or a vaccine that was being used wrongly in the early days, whereas today it is proving its worth. We used to say about them in the early days that the trouble was the three M's, and they're not the little sweets. The three M's were men, mobility, and money. Put them into combination, and HIV spread 
very easily amongst populations in Africa and in other parts. But that dynamic or that scenario is now changing and changing for the better. Where there is money, where there is mobility, but where also there is education, there you have a chance of less HIV. There you have people who will present themselves earlier for treatment. There you will have people who will adhere to the treatment. Anne pointed out MSM, the men who have sex with men. But we're thinking now of MEM, men who are educated men, and that there there will be much less of HIV. And think back ourselves, yourself, to the time when we learned how to read and write. It wasn't just that we were learning mechanical things on a page. We had to learn in here, very deeply in here, how to link the first word of a sentence with the last word. How to link the words together with their grammar. The short little sentences of the first and then later longer ones that we could read and internalize some of this thing. Now, that is a whole process that goes on with the individual and it seems to transform an individual that they regard life as very different when this has happened. Also occurring with individuals is the ability to delay gratification, to put it off, to say, no, I can't do that now, I have my homework to do. The discipline that is involved in the simple things of schooling is something that stays with people and when they know a little bit more about this epidemic, it stays with them to help them to defend themselves against it. We don't use the word discipline very much nowadays, but it is something that is very, very real. And really what I'm saying there is that it is education as education, not necessarily, not necessarily being taught about the disease. We have very strong evidence from Uganda and from some other countries of the infection rate coming down in communities for those with secondary or with primary education and staying very level, much higher, for those with no education, no school education. And this happened at a time when there was no sex education in schools and when even the very quality of education was not good. But education can do more. It can do infinitely more because the better educated, they know. Now, knowledge is not information, or sorry, information is not knowledge, I beg your pardon, Professor, but the information has got to be there. And they're able to take in the messages that are coming to them through the media all around them. Now, the social media are kicking in on that throughout Africa, and this is being used by the people there. Those who are better education know the importance of going for a test and following up on it, not just getting the test, but going back for it. 
I'd almost be shy of asking how many people here have been for a test. <laughs> oh, quite a number, quite good. And several times quite a number of us too, I'm sure. <laughs> but some of my testing was here in Ireland. It wasn't in Zambia, some of it was. But educated people do know that. Educated people know much more about nutrition and the importance of a nutritious diet, which is all tied up with HIV. You're much more susceptible to HIV uh, infection if your nu nutrition levels have gone low. Educated people have learned more about these things. They are, show more understanding and accepting attitudes to the people who are infected. One of the greatest, one of the worst curses in this area is discrimination and stigma. Treating people with HIV as if they were a race apart, below our esteem, negative attitudes towards them, and these negative attitudes sometimes shown in employment, in access to a dentist, in access to medical services, in all sorts of places. I said this before, some of you have heard it, but I was in a taxi in Dublin in February this year, and we got around to talking about this disease, and the taxi driver told me, two of my brothers, he said, have died of HIV, of AIDS. And when the funeral of the first one took place, we went into the local pub with the people to have a drink and a sandwich. Nobody came to serve us. And after about 10 minutes, I went over to the bartender and I asked him why. He said, some of the other customers are objecting to your being here. They would prefer if you left. That sort of stigma. Now, I know that's a few years back, but is it there lurking in the hearts of people? It could well be. Education, there is abundant evidence that being through school, learning what UNESCO calls one of the pillars of learning for this uh, 21st century, learning to live together, that that is also succeeding immensely in dealing with this. So education is doing a lot. Could it do more? Yes, if given a chance. Maybe you know the story of the man who kept going into the church and pleading, God, help me to win the lotto. God, help me to win the lotto. And nothing was happening. And he vocalized it out loud one day, and he heard a voice booming, give me a chance, buy a ticket. <laughs> well, I think with education, it's a question of giving it a chance. More education, better education, more universal education, especially for girls, better education, especially for girls. If we can do that, we're responding to the human rights of all of our children, and we are building a great barrier against possible HIV infection, or if infection occurs, against more speedy treatment that will keep the person alive. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. 
It is important to remember that HIV and AIDS has not gone away, and more than ever, we must call on all communities to redouble efforts and to ensure that we keep HIV high on the agenda. Please visit FatherMichaelKellyZambia.org to learn more. Yeah.